Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist here. So I want to thank uh, Divergent Tiger Bear, uh, who has been in communication with me on Telegram and had a video suggestion um, asking me to kind of break down what's going on in the economy in a nutshell, like to break it all down quickly and put it into a nutshell so that we have a quick 10 minute video describing what's going on inside of the economy right now so people have a better understanding. And I don't know if I can do that in a 10 minute video. And I said, I answered her back and said, you know, well maybe I could do like a video series and we can kind of break it down into like maybe a handful of videos that gives us an idea of what's going on in the economy because I think if you try to break it down quickly into like a 10 minute video, we're gonna find that there are so many other working parts and ideas and theories and possibilities that there's no way that we could really get a good understanding inside of 10 minutes. But I'm gonna do my best to try and give you the uneducated economist, layman's terms, idea of what is going down in the economy right now. And um, thank you very much, Divergent Tiger Bear, for the video suggestion. So really, I think probably the best thing to understand is the fiat currency system comparatively to a gold standard. So if you have no clue of how the money system is operating or what the dollar really is, because a lot of people still anticipate the dollar being backed or has this idea that if there was a dollar failure, there's gold that's going to back the dollar. Like they have this sort of anticipation behind it from the gold that is stored at Fort Knox. Um, there's like, I don't know what the exact number is, but there's enough gold at Fort Knox to operate the government for like a month or something like that. I don't even know if it's that long anymore. <clears throat> but like nobody really considers the gold at Fort Knox to be any kind of backing to our currency. That is some kind of false like narrative that has been put out there that many people believe, but anybody who truly understands the system doesn't really fall for that idea at all, that the gold in Fort Knox is backing our currency. Um, it was used as a credible threat or a ploy or just to kind of give that confidence to the people that the gold is there to back the currency, but there's really just simply not enough there to even remotely come close to backing our currency. It's just, it's just simply not enough. So the dollar is not backed by gold. It's backed by a promise to pay. That's it. It's like, it's backed by other people's debt. And that's really what it comes down to is the government's debt. And it's not just the government's debt, it's the government's promise to pay. And the way they do that is by promising the world that men with guns will come and take everything that somebody owns if they don't pay their taxes, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And so with this ultimate threat of not only, I mean, across the entire world, but you know, against their citizens as well, they're able to have this currency that has a lot of value behind it because it is backed by that ability. I mean, that's the simplest way to kind of understand it. So now we have this dollar that is guaranteed to tax its citizens in order to give it value. We have something that we can now use to create debt, to make exchange with, to do all kinds of stuff, right? Now, this is where the dollar really gets its value is by this taxing of the people. However, when you go and you look where the dollars come from, how it's created, who owns them, and then where is this dollar like actually getting its creation from, right? This is a very broad question because it can go on for hours about like how this is actually done. 
But I'm going to try and explain to you very simply. The Federal Reserve is the creator of the currency. So if we take a Federal Reserve note, like a dollar, just a simple $1 bill, this is a Federal Reserve note. A note is something that is due back to the Federal Reserve plus an interest rate. Okay, so that's what a note is. It's a promise to pay or a promise to be paid, one or the other. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So this is what, what the Federal Reserve note is. Now, if you look at what a silver certificate is, because a silver certificate is what was used prior to, and considered a dollar prior to the Federal Reserve. So a silver certificate was more of a claim ticket. It was more of a promise that there was a piece of silver sitting on a shelf somewhere. And if you took this dollar to the bank, you would be able to get that piece of silver back for it. So it wasn't exactly like a promise to pay. It was more of a claim ticket, like a silver certificate wouldn't exist if there wasn't a silver piece of silver sitting on a shelf somewhere, like backing that, that dollar. But the Federal Reserve, they print up this money and then they go and they buy U.S. debt with it. Now, they can't just go and directly buy U.S. debt. That would be illegal. It's against their charter. What they do is they buy the U.S. debt from the primary dealers, which are the big banks out there. Now, this is where it gets really complicated because most people kind of, if they haven't already gotten lost by this whole concept, this is where they really get lost on it. So now the US government creates a bond. Now a bond is a promise to pay. It's just a loan. It's like an IOU, kind of not necessarily like the Federal Reserve note, but you know, you can kind of imagine a piece of paper, right? that has what they refer to as coupons along the bottom of it. These coupons are interest payments. So if you had a $100 bond that was guaranteed to pay 10% interest over the next 10 years, it would have a $100 face value that in 10 years, this thing would be able to be cashed in for 100 bucks and it would have 10 coupons along the bottom of it. And once a year, you could rip off a coupon that would be worth 10%, take that down to the bank and get $10, right? And then after all the coupons were gone after the end of the 10 years, you would go and get your money back for the face value of the bond itself. That's the simplest explanation of a bond. And so now when you hear bond yields, prices fall and yields rise or yields fall and prices rise, it's because this bond won't change, right? It's a $100 face value, it has the 10% coupons attached to it. But what I can sell it for to somebody like, I mean, it's not going to change. It's $100, 10%. That stays the same no matter who I sell it to, right? But the price that I sell it to them for can go up or down. And what the investor gets after they have cashed in all those coupons plus the $100 face value will be will go up or down comparatively to how much they have paid for it, right? So that's the yield. And that's why the prices fall and the yields rise. So as the prices of these bonds come down, what the investor is going to get after the interest payments and the face value is going to go up. That's really important to understand because these bonds end up on the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. Okay, so we have the Federal Reserve and we have the Treasury, two separate things. A lot of people need to put that into their heads that the Federal Reserve Bank is not part of the government. 
It's neither federal nor does it have reserves. It's not a, it's not like that at all. It's not part of the government. What it is, it's a bank that has a printing press to it. Now, this is the simple, like, again, this, it, it, it's much more complicated than what I'm putting it, but I'm just trying to give you the, the nutshell version of this, right? So now the Federal Reserve, they have this printing press where they can create these dollars at will as many as they want, right? They don't have to, you know, they don't, it doesn't take any special talent or skills to do it, right? They just can print up as many as they want. But when they buy them, they have to buy them from the primary dealers. Now, the primary dealers go to auction at the U.S. Treasury. So the U.S. Treasury wants to sell bonds. They need to fund the government. The government wants to do some spending or whatever. So they create the bonds. The Treasury is then going to go put them into auction to sell them. The big banks, like the J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, those guys, they're the ones who step up at the auction and buy these U.S. Treasuries. Once they have purchased these U.S. Treasuries, then the Federal Reserve will go and purchase those Treasuries from those big banks. That is the process in which that this money becomes in, comes into creation, right? Is that they have purchased these bonds by, from the big banks, right? Who have purchased those bonds from the U.S. Treasury. And the reason why they go this path is because they are purchasing something that has already been purchased. If they went right to the Treasury, that would be monetizing the debt and that would be illegal against their charter and they technically can't do that. Even though it's this roundabout way of monetizing the debt. So that was the description of quantitative easing. That is like the simplest understanding of what happened there and how money is created. These, the US uh, treasuries, when they sit on the Fed's balance sheet, now the Federal Reserve can do a handful of, the, handful of stuff with these things, right? They can continue to purchase them and add to their balance sheet, which increases the balance sheet, puts more money into circulation. <clears throat> But when these treasuries come due, because that's what they are, they're a bond that's going to come due. When that money comes back to the Federal Reserve, right, because the bond is coming due, so the money is, you know, they're cashing in their bond. They're saying, hey, man, all the coupons have been, you know, I've got my coupon payments and the face value. I want my, I want my money back. The Federal Reserve is in that very same position. They get the dollars back, right? So unless they go and purchase another bond with that, that money is destroyed. That's money coming out of the system. So this is the way that money comes into the system and out of the system, right? The, the simplest way, right? And the quantitative easing explanation is the easiest way to talk about how money gets in. There's all kinds of other ways like fractional reserve banking and stuff like that. But that's such another topic that it's kind of hard to put that into a nutshell. So now we have this money that has been created by the Federal Reserve, purchased from the big banks who had gotten that, purchased those treasuries from the treasury itself at that auction. So now the Federal Reserve is sitting in a position in which they went into quantitative easing where they have loaded up on these bonds, putting a bunch of money into circulation, which didn't actually go into circulation. It just sits on the, it sits on the balance sheets of these or sits in reserves on these big banks. And unless people borrow that money into, into the circulation, it just sits there as reserves on these big banks balance sheets. So all that money printing doesn't necessarily make it into circulation. Okay, so th that's something else to understand because now we're going on to the opposite side of this thing where the Federal Reserve is going to be tightening up the currency, right? And this is where the money starts coming back in. They can let the bonds mature all on their own or they can sell those into the market. Either way, that's money coming back to the Federal Reserve and unless they move that into either new bonds or um, that essentially that's how they would do it or somehow maybe did currency swaps or did something else with that money. But if they don't do that, 
that comes back to the Federal Reserve and essentially gets destroyed. And that's what we are, we are now experiencing with the monetary tightening from the Federal Reserve and the lifting of interest rates. Now, how the Federal Reserve establishes the, those interest rates, this is a very complicated situation on how they do it because they, they have changed it from the effective fund rate, which they still use, the effective fund rate, but it's been moved over to the repo facility on how they adjust the interest rates in order to achieve this effective fund rate. Now, I'm not going to go into the repo facility too deeply because I think trying to understand how they that, how they establish the effective fund rate is is much easier to to try and grasp and then to try and understand what the repo market is after that is much easier because the effective fund rate is the actual rate of interest rate that the big banks lend to each other on an overnight basis. The Fed funds rate, right? What the Fed says, hey, we have our Fed funds rate. That's a target rate. It's as if they had wrote it on the wall saying, hey, this is what we're shooting for, okay, boys? The effective fund rate, the overnight lending rate coming from the big banks. So when the big banks at the end of the day, some of them are in need of reserves and some of them have excess reserves. The ones who are in need of reserves borrow from the ones who have excess reserves and that overnight lending rate, that is the effective fund rate. Now the Federal Reserve, what they used to do is they would buy and sell treasuries off these big banks in order to establish that overnight lending rate. So if there was too many treasuries in the market and they didn't have the effective fund rate landing in the Fed's target, they would pull treasuries out of the big banks or they would purchase or they would put them back in, buying or selling, right? These treasuries on these big banks in order to establish the reserves that these big banks need, the reserves levels, and get that Fed funds rate or the effective fund rate to land where the Fed fund rate is. That has now been moved because there was such an abundance of money in the system that it actually, well, it started off when there was a lack of money in the system back in September of 2019 where there was this tax payment that had been made and it took a bunch of the money out of the big banks and moved it over to a general, general treasury account from the US from the big banks to the US treasury at the Federal Reserve. So it took all this cash out of the big banks. Well, that left them with not enough cash in the system to operate the next day. And some of these banks who were in need of reserves couldn't find them. And so they started like, you know, in search of them anywhere they could get, ended up finding that the overnight lending rate shot up to like 10%. And the Federal Reserve was like, oh, hell no. And they stepped in with the repo market and said, okay, well, you guys are loaded up on these treasuries. You don't have enough cash. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take the treasuries off of your account and hand you cash. And we're gonna do this on an overnight basis every single day and call it the repo facility. And that's really where the interest rates ended up landing at, was at this repo facility as they were buying and selling treasuries, either if there was too much cash in the system or not enough cash in the system. Because right now they have the repo facility working exactly the opposite. We're back in 2019 when they had really established this permanent, it was temporary at the time, or it was just a pressure relief. It was just like a tool that the Federal Reserve used, but they wanted a standing repo facility. And that's what ended up occurring after the September of 2019 like issue with these banks pretty much freezing up because they didn't have enough cash in the market. So that's why where the Fed is actually establishing the the uh, Fed funds rate is through the repo facility where it used to be done on this overnight lending rate from the big banks. They still do that, but the repo facility is where they um, is where they establish the basically the low end, and then you have the high end um, channel on how the Federal Reserve is establishing that Fed funds rate. Uh, I believe they call this, if I'm not mistaken, a belt and suspenders style of establishing that. Fed funds, if I got that right. So anyway, 
hopefully you guys understood all that. That was really complicated. So if you are if you are new to economics, that probably just blew you away on how the Federal Reserve gets money into the system and how they establish the interest rates. That's really important to understand all that stuff right there because when it comes to understanding how mortgages work, how car loans, how credit cards, all that stuff starts to become clear on why they are the way they are when you understand how it is that the Federal Reserve is operating and putting that money into the system or taking that money out. Um, I'm gonna leave it there. I think that's enough for this particular video. So now that we understand like how the Federal Reserve injects money, takes money out and gets that Fed funds rate that establishes that interest rate, now we can talk a little bit more about what is occurring with like the inflation, the supply chain and stuff like that. So I'm gonna leave it at that. Thank you very much again, Divergent Tiger Bear for the video suggestion. And uh, I think this is gonna be a great conversation. And all right, Uneducated Economist, you guys let me know.